The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. That's right. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 6. That's where we'll be this morning. If uh, you need a Bible, if you don't have one, you can just stick up your hand and our ushers will get you one. It's on page 533 in those blue Bibles. If you need sermon notes, they are there as well. But today we are in week three of our series on prayer through the book of Acts. And what we've seen up to this point in today is really no different at each significant moment of the development of the early church where disciples are being made and multiplied in really extraordinary numbers, at each phase, there is a sold-out commitment to prayer. When Jesus ascends, he's with his disciples. What do they do? They pray. When a new apostle is appointed, the 11, they pray When the Holy Spirit comes and the church is born, the disciples devote themselves to prayer. When persecution arises and disciples are going to prison, they gather to do what? They pray. And what we see here, chapter 5, verse 14, tells us, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. It's almost like as a teenager goes through a massive growth spurt, with it comes aches and pains and complaints. And so too is happening here in the church. As, As persecution is rising, as believers are growing in number, what we see in our passage today in Acts 6 is that what happens when the apostles faithfully lead and shepherd this growing body of believers. They rightfully prioritize prayer and the word, and it has a powerful effect in the church among the people. For they understand that if they're not plugged into the power source, then any program they launch, any ministry they equip will be useless, devoid of any effectiveness. And so let's read our passage and see, let's let God's work speak for itself. You ready for that? This is Acts 6. We'll be in verses 1 through 7 this morning. Follow along here as I read. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's word for God's people. So today we title the message, The Power of Prayer. And as we read this, where is the power? What is significant about this passage? What happens when here, catch this, take your notes. What happens when prayer and the word have the right place in the church? 
What happens when prayer and the word have the right place in the church? Well, first, from verse 1, unity is maintained. Unity is maintained when prayer and the word have the right place in the church. Unity is maintained. See, in in our passage here, the disciples are increasing in number. Back in chapter one, they were the it was the eleven that were gathered. Jesus' family and his brothers and sisters and the women were there. Probably about twenty people or so. And now scholars estimate at this point, maybe weeks, months, possibly after that, where Jesus ascended, now that number has grown to about twenty thousand people. Want to talk about growth? 20 to 20,000? That's pretty significant, isn't it? It's, that's, that's massive growth. At the last point, it said that there was a number given, there was 5,000 men. And so as you think about how that is multiplying with their wives and the children, it is roughly about 20,000. And what happens when there's so much growth so rapidly, especially among new immature Christians? Complaints happen, right? Toes get stepped on, people get offended, feelings get hurt, things get missed. If we were to gather all 20,000 students in Comal ISD, do you think there would be some complaining if we brought them all together? Yes, yes, yes. Any of you been around kids before? Yeah, complaining. Maybe it's just my kids, I don't know. But there's some complaining that's happening here because there's some friction between these two ethnic groups within the body of believers, the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Now that would really make actually a great Christianity Today headline, wouldn't it? Hard times between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. But there's racial, racial and cultural tension here. The Hellenists, if you're unfamiliar, the Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jews. They were ones that uh, maybe lived in Jerusalem. Others of them had traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, had experienced Pentecost, and have now come to faith in Christ Jesus. But they were a minority among them. The Hebrews were the natives. They were the Aramaic-speaking Jews. And so the Hellenists are contending for their vulnerable widows that are being, being neglected in the daily distribution. And so there is a practice there daily that the church would care for widows, would care for the most vulnerable who didn't have a source of income, who didn't have somebody, a family uh, providing for them. And so they would come for the daily distribution. Your Bible and NASB, NIV adds in the daily distribution of food. Now that's just added there. It could be food, likely was, or it could have been uh, money as well. Whatever it is, they were coming to be cared for. No matter what, they were being overlooked and uncared for. And the Hellenists, rightfully so, they sound the alarm. But beloved, it is in these moments when among God's people, where the enemy loves to sneak in and destroy where he loves to come in and cause division, where he loves to make the saints depart, where he takes our attention off of Christ and abandon the very things that brought us together, our united faith in Christ, our experience of God's love and forgiveness. And it is in these moments where complaints are rising, where things are being missed, where the enemy likes to come in and steal, kill, and destroy. And beloved, this is really no different than today, than our day and age. Complaints arise as as, as churches come together, as new churches are formed, complaints about worship preferences, about styles, about uh, the types of ministries that are offered, kids and uh, students, college, singles, married, seniors, ministry, all of these areas, when you bring an unlikely group of people together, it is there when our unity is threatened and the enemy loves to come in and 
just destroy the faith that God is collectively bringing together among our among his people. But when prayer and word have the right place, unity is maintained in the church. We have a weapon to fight against the real enemy, not against one another. We have a, 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 we have a direction to proceed as we stay fixed in God's word, as we keep the main thing the main thing. But when prayer and the word have the right place in the church, unity can be maintained. And there's no different really than in our own life. When prayer and the word have the right place in your marriage, unity is maintained. 1 Peter 3, 7 alludes to this where he tells husbands, he says, he says husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, right? Showing her honor as a weaker vessel that, because she is a co-heir with you so that, why? Anybody know the verse? So that your prayers are not hindered. See, unity in marriage is so key, is two becoming one. And when those things are not happening, what happens? Division happens, quarreling happens, complaining happens. But when it has the right place, see, that tension is really inevitable as two become one about how decisions are made in our families. But God in his kindness, as we keep prayer at the forefront, husbands, as we are praying with our wives, as we are keeping the word central, as we are making time for the word in our own life and in the life of our spouse and our kids, unity is maintained. And this is really not just something for, uh, for marriages. It's true in all friendships. It's true in all relationships, especially relationships among the community of believers. Psalm 133 teaches that unity is a beautiful thing. As God's people come together, laying down preferences regardless of the backgrounds which we come from, and as we are united in the faith, it is a beautiful thing. Ephesians 4 teaches that unity is a thing that we must work for. It is not an easy thing, but as we come, as we are gentle and kind and gracious with one another, it is something that we must fight for. And John 17 teaches us that Jesus, it's the reason that Jesus was sent and died for, that we might be united to him and with one another. But when we are tapped into the power of Christ through prayer and the word, that unity is maintained. We want to be united in Christ. We are united through his word together. The story goes on here. The passage really continues. When prayer and the word have the right place, unity is maintained. But also, what happens here? The needs are met, right? Needs are met. Do you see this in verse 2 here? The 12, uh, they come together and, th- and their needs are met. But I want, I want to uh, just pause here as we, as we come before we get into this passage. Because uh, some of you may be thinking to yourself right now, yeah, but... One of the things that I hear as your pastor, I hear uh, this quite often. It's like, well, that's all well and good, but you know what? I do all the things. I'm praying. I read, my word, I read the word. I read my Bible daily, but nothing is changing. My life is still a mess. I'm still constantly fighting. There's not unity here. There's, I'm not getting what I asked for. You ever think that way? Like I'm doing all the things, but it's what I'm asking for is not happening. You ever feel that way? Maybe if we're honest, no, nobody wants to raise their hand. Okay. Maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> Let me just remind you here of something, beloved, that this is not a math equation. Okay? It's not just like, all right, we put it, we, we do the things and then this results. Sometimes we get a very different result than what we're asking for. 
Sometimes it's maybe more like one of these machines over here. Ready for it? What do you think it is? A sticker machine. Sometimes it, it maybe is more like this. So I got some coins in my pocket. I think I have enough. No, I might need to borrow a couple quarters. I do. I have a couple quarters here. See, sometimes we might feel like it's this. Like, I really want this Packers sticker right there. For the 18 months or whatever that we've been in this building, I've seen that on the front. I was like, I could really use that Packers sticker somewhere. But I've never really, I've never put until this morning, I've never put any coins in it. And so it's like this. Maybe our coins are like, here's prayer in the word. We're doing the right things. We're putting ourselves in the place of seeking the Lord, doing what he asked for. I really want that prayer sticker. We're going to find out what I get. The lowly Browns. It's the Browns. That's right. I want a Packer sticker. I'm asking for it, and out pops a Browns one. You know, Psalm 84, 11, it says that no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And so here's something that you can be sure of, beloved. That whatever God has given you in your life, is for your good. I don't know why a Browns sticker could be good for anybody. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why. But, if he's, but you can be sure that if you've put yourself in the pathway of receiving God's blessing, that if you are praying and seeking his, uh, his word and his will, that, then receiving his goodness and however he answers your prayers is for his glory and your good. If he's telling you no right now, it is for your good. If he is telling you to wait, maybe he's purging some things out of your life. Maybe it's become an idol. Maybe your eyes have been taking off of Christ. If he's told you absolutely not, it is for your good. And if he's left something in your life, even if it is the bitter cup, the bitter cup that even Christ took to the cross, it is for his glory and your good. And so I don't want us, even as we think about the power of prayer, even as we think about the results and the fruit that happens when we pray, when we are seeking God, that this isn't just like always a math equation. Sometimes the answer, God always answers for your good, for his glory. Sometimes it might be a little different than what we are expecting. But just as we can be sure that it is for our good, you can be equally sure that if we neglect prayer, if we neglect the word, then you put yourself in danger. If you're not in the pathway of receiving those things, you will never receive the good things that come with his will. Don't do that. Don't do that. So are we clear on that? Are we clear? See, when we put prayer and word in the right place in our life, yes, unity is maintained and our needs are met. Let's press on here. Not only are these things happen, but look at, look at what happens in verse two here. The 12 apostles, they call a church meeting. You see that? They call a church meeting. The full number of disciples, verse 2 says, are there. That's quite a crowd, huh? That's quite a crowd. And in their answer, they really establish two things here. They establish the priority of preaching, and they give credibility to the need. 
They're not saying that this is something, oh, forget about the widows. No, by calling everyone to the meeting, they show that everybody has a role, everybody has a responsibility. As leaders, they cannot neglect the priority of preaching the word of God. They must devote themselves to feeding these people the spiritual food of God's word. And sermons, let me tell you, sermons take hours of preparation. Hours of preparation. We maybe gather here at the table, our spiritual table, for about 40 minutes to hear from God's word. But it has come only after about an average of 15 hours a week. Some of you are like, I thought a pastor only works an hour a week. Once an hour on a Sunday. 16. Only 16. 15 in prep, one in pulpit. But no, there's, there's, there's hours of studying it, feasting on a, uh, myself, of letting it marinate, seasoning it, reading other recipes of the things that come. When we, we, when we sit here at the table, there is like a chef that has put diligent time and study and effort into the preparation. Here is what a sermon takes. It is, there is a priority to it. There are hours spent in diligent study, thinking about the text and thinking about the people that will hear it, knowing that lives depend upon the word of God. Our lives depend on the soul-nourishing, faith-arousing word of God. And as a church, we embrace the, that priority, that pillar of unapologetic preaching and the grace of God every week that we get to, to receive it. That somebody, a custodian, opens the doors as people gather here together collectively to be fed from the soul-nourishing word of God. And as a people of God, we embrace that grace. As, as people of God, we also, we can't neglect the need then, the physical needs of one another either. And let me just encourage you, we, you at Redemption, we, our churches, we are so good at this. Time and time again, anytime there seems to be a need, our small groups rally around and go overboard in generosity. And praise God for that. Praise God for that because there is a unity that has been born through prayer and weekly devotion to God's word that we can't help but meet one another's need. Excel still more, beloved. Excel still more. But you know what the, the apostles' response here in verse 2? You know what it really does here? It does not minimize the need at all. It simply keeps the priorities in the right place. It keeps the priorities in the right place. See, here, there's a life principle that is born out of this. Sometimes we have to say no to good things in order to say yes to the best things. Sometimes we have to say no to good things in order to say yes to the best things. See, that, meeting this need, feeding these widows was a good need. But as the apostles, as leaders, they needed to devote themselves to the best thing, the thing that God had called them to do to meet the spiritual need of the people that were there in their spiritual care. See, here's the reality. There is no shortage of things to do. There are no shortage of needs to be met. Anybody have just like a really bored week this last week? Like, you know what? I don't really have anything to do. No, there is no shortage of things, but we put ourselves in the wrong place when we go horizontal, when we try to meet every need, when we try to fix everything without going vertical first without going vertical first and making sure our priorities are in place. But when Christ is exalted in the church and in your life, when, when knowing him and making him known is the motivation, then and only then 
is the power to change. Then true needs are met in true, lasting ways. See, Christ came and he fixed our greatest need, didn't he? Christ had one mission, to glorify God and to redeem a people for his own possession. He came with one mission, to give uh, uh, his people a new heart, knowing that our greatest need was not physical, but it was spiritual. We were under the wrath of God. We were separated by our sin from holy God, and we could do nothing to fix that. And so Christ came and met our greatest need. This, beloved, is the heart of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what he came to do. He came to meet our spiritual need. And we repent of our sin when we realize that and we realize the satisfaction that comes from knowing Christ that only he can give us in true, lasting, and eternal ways. That causes us to turn from our sin and turn towards Christ Jesus in faith. Have you done that? Have you done that as you think about needs that are in your own life, as you think about your own financial hardships, as you think about the, the relational strife that is in your life? Have you come to Christ? So Christ, will you meet my need? My greatest need? The fact that I'm apart from you and I'm a sinner that is in need of grace. Life-transforming grace. When you call upon the Lord, he will answer you. See, when prayer and the word have the right place, Unity is maintained, needs are met. And look at where verse 3 takes us. Leaders are made. Leaders are made. The priorities have been established. Who has what role and what responsibility? And the need was formidable. Somebody needed to lead it. Twelve can't possibly effectively care for 20,000 people. More qualified men must step up. And so look at verse 3. What are the character qualifications here? Do you see it? These are character qualifications that the church, the body there gathered was to affirm and the apostles would then appoint these people. Look in verse 3. It says, pick out from you seven men of good repute. It's the same idea of being above reproach, of, of men who, who were not different no matter where they were, that they had a reputation that was pleasing to the Lord, that their reputation was, yes, they were men of faith in Christ Jesus. No question about it. No question about it. The second there, look, that they were full of the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit was evident in their life. That the things of love, joy, peace, patience, righteousness, goodness, self-control, all those things were obvious in the way that they lived their life. And third, what does it say? And of wisdom. Wisdom. That they were competent. That they had both uh, biblical and practical knowledge and understanding. This is what's right and this is how you follow the Lord. There was these men qualified in these ways who were appointed to lead this ministry. And look at verse 5. It, it lists out their names, right? They're, they're all Greek names here. They were likely Hellenists. Stephen, we know, he's in the next chapter. If you read on, if you don't know, he's the guy that he preaches this fantastic sermon, but he gets killed for it. Philip, then in chapter 8, he will take the gospel to that next stage into Samaria, 
Remember chapter one, verse eight, that you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. In chapter eight, it goes to the next level, and God uses Philip to help take it to that next level. The other five here, uh, Prochorus and all those fun names to pronounce, they're unknown really except for here, but they are raised up. They are leaders that are raised up so real ministry happens and the apostles can remain devoted. Look at verse four, devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. It's the crux of our passage here. That's the crux. It's the main point. Leaders and ministry can't happen if the machine isn't plugged in. They know that. They need to lead the church and make sure that it is plugged in. Does, does anybody here have a Kirby vacuum? Anybody have a Kirby? Yeah? A couple of you? Anybody bring it with you? No? Okay. Um, anybody work for Kirby at one point? Anybody a Kirby salesman at one point tried to do that for a season? No? Okay. Did you know that they are still a real thing? Like the, 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 that stereotypical vacuum salesman that comes to your door knocking at night, that, that's still a real thing. They came to our house this week on Tuesday night. We kind of got hoodwinked a little bit. Somebody came to our door and said, hey, just need a little bit of your time. And so try to be nice and hospitable. And about two hours later, they were still there. <laughs> but we, had, we, we now have a clean, all those coming over for step two at our house today, our living room has been um, clean to the nines. And they, uh, you know, they, they come in, they're good. They, 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 they showed the superiority of their product, for sure. Better than all three of the vacuums that our house owns. Yeah, we have three already. Um, and this one is far and away the best one. But, I mean, it, it's, it, it is a superior machine. It can do all kinds of things, including groom your pet, apparently. <laughs> but it does not matter if that machine is sitting in the closet, does it? The machine must be plugged in, turned on, and turned loose on the carpet for its numerous features of dirt removal, stain removal, stain prevention, pet grooming, etc., to have any effect in your house. And as a church, beloved, we must be plugged in through prayer. Our Bible's turned on for it to have any sort of effect in our life. Beloved, we, we, must be, we, we must be plugged in if leaders are to be deployed, ministry to happen for, 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 for any sort of thing, to any uh, lasting, eternal ministry to happen as a part of redemption. Our leaders must be men and women devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. We must be plugged in. You know, these, these men here, they're, they're, they're prototype, they're beta deacons. You know what that, you know what deacons are? The actual office of a deacon would come later as churches are established and mature and organized. It's kind of like the apostles here are prototype or beta elders or pastors. But deacons are literally servants. They care for the physical needs of the body of Christ at the direction of the elders. And once God raises up elders among us as a church, the next step will be to install and appoint deacons. In many ways already, our ministry team leaders are beta deacons like this who have stepped up to lead our various ministry teams of facilities and kids ministry and hospitality, ushers, production, all of those things. Beta deacons, that's what's happening here. There is a physical need. These men have, been step, have stepped up to lead the charge so that the work of ministry happens and the leaders are equipping them. Do you aspire to lead in God's church? Let me just ask that question. 
Do you aspire to lay down your life to shepherd and serve God's people? Then the pathway forward for this, the pathway forward is to devote yourself to prayer and the word. The pathway forward is to be diligent in your character, to do the work of ministry, and in due time, God may set you apart where you may be prayed on for the laying on of hands. But first, but first, prayer and the word must have the right place in your life. And then leaders are made. Character counts, beloved. Character counts. The last one, prayer and the word have the right place then disciples are multiplied. I'm amazed every time I read verse seven. Did you catch how awesome verse seven is? Do you see it there? These three results, they're each marked by this and here. Do you see what happens? The word of God increases. Like there is a massive outpouring of the spirit of God on the people of God there where, where the word of God is increasing. It is spreading like bread dough rising or water flooding that, that the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that the understanding of God's word is being spread all throughout Jerusalem and soon into Judea and Samaria. It is just as Jesus promised it would. Massive amounts of people are coming. Look, believers are coming to God in mass in Jerusalem. It, it, the, they're multiplying greatly. There's a fire among God's people that even look, even look, even the Jewish priests are trusting Christ. The most unlikely people, the rank and file. Not we know the chief priests haven't because they're the they're the instigators of the persecution. But here, don't miss that. You see, priests, a great many of the priests become obedient to the faith. The most unlikely people are now turning towards Christ. And this is, it's, it's amazing growth. It's like when rain hits the earth after a drought, when everything suddenly blooms. There's no church growth strategies being employed here. There's no, uh, there's no marketing schemes to draw crowds. People aren't coming to be entertained in here. No, Christ is the main attraction. What is drawing people here is the power of Christ exalted. It is Jesus being lifted high and amazing things are happening. See, beloved, when, when our motivation is to exalt Christ, everything changes. When our coming to every gathering is a fresh encounter with the Lord through his word as we sing, pray, hear preaching, we can't help but get fired up about church. We can't help but invite our friends. See, when every small group, Christ is glorified as we study and confess and counsel and pray together, then what else could we be but eager to meet? See, it's, it's, it's almost like this. Think of it this way, beloved. Picture like the church here. And, and tie a string, here are unbelievers, here are our friends, here are people that are apart from Christ, and here's Christ above the church. And now picture a string attached to the church, or goes through the church, and it is attached to people. See, our job as God's people, as the church, is to lift high Christ. And the higher we exalt Christ, the higher we give him worth in our life, the higher that we praise him, the closer people come the closer people come to being a part of the body of Christ. Do you see that? And so our job is not to employ things to, to pull them in here. Our job is to lift high the name of Christ through worship, through the way that we live our life, through the way that we relate with one another, through the way that God's word is preached and listened to is that if Christ is the main attraction to our church, then amazing things, God, gospel transformation will happen. See, Jesus is the source of this church growth. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the source of all that is happening here. 
of the salvation, of the gospel multiplication, so much so that even the least likely, even the priests are coming to faith. Beloved, is there someone that you've been praying for a long time to believe in Christ? Is there? Is there some uh, situation that you uh, have been praying for that would change for a long time? If you've been praying for our church to grow, for many to come to faith, a friend group, family members, you've been praying for those things? I was struck this week as I was reading and praying about Jesus' response in Matthew 9, at the very end of Matthew 9, when Jesus sees the crowds and he has what? Do you know the passage? He has compassion on them. Matthew 9, 36 to the end there. You can read it this afternoon. He says he has compassion on them for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What does he tell the disciples to pray for? Does he say, pray that I would save them? He doesn't say that. What does he say? Pray that the Lord of the harvest would what? Send out workers into the harvest. Now, as we're praying for many to come to faith, as we are praying for people over and over and over, remember what we learned last week. That growth, that multiplication, that, that the out, we don't necessarily pray for the outcomes, but we need to pray for the courage to take the next step. We need to pray for courage that God would help us get through it. We need to pray in these situations that, like Jesus told us, that God, would you put somebody in his life that would share the gospel with him? God, would you move a neighbor next door to my parents that would be a, a Bible-believing, zealous Christian for the Lord that would share Christ with them, that would invite them into their home? God, would you put somebody in their life, a worker, would you put a church in that community, in my hometown, God, that where they would be about disciple-making, they would be Christ-exalting, Bible-proclaiming, God-glorifying church people. God, would you give us the courage to take the next step? God, would you put these people in our life and then this, these things, disciples will be multiplied. Now, there's a number here, you know, there's a massive amount here. It's because prayer and the word have the right place. God is doing a phenomenal work as the church is being born. And God is doing a phenomenal work in your own heart, I hope. As prayer and the word have the right place. And we want it to have the right place in our own church today. We want to plug into the power. Because I know that many of you are going through some pretty significant things. Anybody? Yeah? Anybody have some significant things happening? I'm sure that there are, there are marriages that, that, that are being tested. Your faith is under attack. There are complaints that are mounting. Needs are real. Suffering is intense. And so what do we need to do in these moments? Pray. Pray. And take it to the Lord. We need to take it to the Lord. And so as we close, I want us to pray just like we've done each uh, Sunday in this series. I'm going to invite our worship team up. And I want us to spend the last uh, few moments here praying. And this is what I want to do uh, today as we come before.